Then Boko, welcome to Listing Humors podcast. Well, thank you. Great to be here. Yes. Well, I came to your home. You came so to me. <laughs> thank you for inviting me you to your home. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Um, first of all, before we start, could you remind if I just ask you, how's retirement treating you? Retirement you... is very good. I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah. I stopped work just about two months ago. Oh, okay. And uh, the very first week, I was a bit lost. Didn't yeah. know what to do with myself. But since then, it's been, I've been, you know, really enjoyed it. Yeah. They're pretty busy. Uh, I, I think I mentioned to you I, I uh, decided to retire about a year ago yeah. so I had plenty of time to think about the kinds of things I wanted to get involved mm. with and I took on a load of stuff and so I'm busy and I'm liking it a lot. Okay, fantastic. Do you, do you find that you're in more demand now since you retired? In terms I, do you of know, like I really demand? am. Yeah. yeah. It's, I had not expected that, but yeah. it's really true. Yeah, yeah. And the people emailing me and ringing me up and wanting things. People like um, myself. That was, that was a nice surprise yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's really, really interesting and good. Mm. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Do you mind telling us um, what was you doing prior to retirement? So what was sure. your previous role? Yeah. So yeah. for the last 20 years, I was a director of a place called the Wiener Library, yeah. which has just actually just changed its name to the Wiener Holocaust Library. Okay. And as the name suggests, that's a, a library, an archive mm. about the Holocaust and genocide. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's the oldest organization anywhere in the world set up specifically to document the Holocaust. Okay. It actually was set up in Amsterdam mm. in 1933 by a man called Alfred Wiener, and yeah. that's why it's called the Wiener Library. And uh, he brought it over to the UK just a few weeks, two or three weeks before the Second World War started. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so how did you get into that line of work, if you don't mind me asking? Well, sort of slightly by accident, actually. Yeah. So my my first uh, job, first proper serious job, was as a research assistant mm -hmm. at the Wellcome Institute for the History of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I was doing that for about three or four years. Yeah. And then I got very fed up with it, bored, <laughs> bored. with it, yeah. bored, and I left. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure what to do, and I was doing kind of freelance bits and mm -hmm. pieces to keep going. And then uh, I heard that there was a temporary uh, job going at this place mm -hmm. for three months and uh, took it. I wasn't very thrilled about it, but I thought mm -hmm. it was three months' money, so that'll do me. Yeah. And uh, why wasn't you thrilled if you don't mind me asking? I just I had never up to that point yeah. I hadn't really given much thought to mm -hmm. the Holocaust or okay. you know it didn't interest me in particular and uh, I found like the the place itself was was very gloomy and mm. a bit depressing and I just didn't didn't like it all that much uh, but. Because of my family background, I knew, you know, a certain amount and thought, well, I ought to know more the, nor, more yeah. about it than I actually did at that time. And bit by bit, over a period of maybe two or three years, mm -hmm. I got interested in it. Yeah, as so well as you're working there. While I was, I was working there full time for three months. And then at the end, they said, mm -hmm. you know, there's always bits and pieces to do here. So if you've got days and you want to work here, mm. that's fine. Yeah. It gave me this sort of terrible day rate. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it kept me going, and I was doing other other things on the side as well. And so I carried on like that for, a, for a, as I said, two or three years. Mm. And then bit by bit, I came to realize, actually, you know, I get this, and, mm. and this, is, this is not... Uh, this is not just an academic interest. It's because of my, my my family's history, and we can talk about that a bit. Mm -hmm. um, this is very relevant to me, yeah. and I'd really like to get in here mm -hmm. with a proper full-time job. And that wasn't so easy to do. So, you know, I had to wait. probably took me about 18 months to persuade them. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they gave me this job. My first job proper job there was running their photo archive okay. which as you can imagine is not 
not the easiest thing. Yeah. The kind of photos they, they had were very, very uh, horrible and, and mm. difficult. Um, and it just sort of went on from went on from there. Yeah. So altogether, I worked for that outfit for 32 years. Oh, wow. Amazing. And I was a director of it for just under 20 years. Oh, wow. Amazing. So you managed to work your way up then pretty quickly from, I, I from a hobby uh, to a part-time job up into a director. Yeah, um, yeah. You said something interesting in regards to how you view the Holocaust prior to actually directly getting involved. And that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast, because the, the word Holocaust has always run through my mind. I've always come across various like um, bits of information and content online regarding the Holocaust, sure. whether it will be from a historic point of view or people's opinions of what the Holocaust was and what it actually what actually did um, happen during the Holocaust. Um, I've never truly felt like I've understood the Holocaust. Like I've I've always felt like it's been vaguely explained throughout my academic life right. and throughout media, various documentaries I've watched. It's always a case where something happened. Loads of people lost their lives in terrible circumstances. Mm -hmm. But as in the process of how we got to that stage, mm -hmm. I've never truly understood it. So yeah. I think one of the questions <clears throat> I, I wanted to ask you, and because I have a lot of young viewers, is just to, how would you explain the Holocaust to someone from someone who's had an in-depth experience? Yeah. So one thing I would say before that is, you know, I've been working with this subject for over 30 years yeah. and I don't understand it either. Yeah. Because there's, there's something about it that you mm. just can't get to grips with yeah. why people would do this. But, you know, roughly speaking, what, I mean, what the Holocaust is, is the systematic persecution and murder mm. of the, the Jews in Europe and to some extent other groups so particularly mm. what 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 people yeah, commonly commonly yeah. called gypsies more yeah. properly called sinti and roma um and to a to some extent gay people and the mm. disabled and and other groups as well but chiefly uh european jews mm. and it started with with legal restrictions on what they could do what jobs they could have where they could live they yeah they bit by bit the the nazi regime took away all of their freedoms yeah. you know, at a certain point you weren't allowed even to have a a cat anymore yeah. you know and you had to get rid of your cat but you weren't allowed to give it to anybody else they insisted that, that you know you put your cat down yeah. Yeah. and then you couldn't ride on buses and and all the rest of it uh, and then eventually they started de deporting them mm -hmm. uh, into other countries it, 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 the, the holocaust proper really goes with the second world war mm. it's like the the war was the cover for carrying this out yeah. you couldn't do it in peace and it time. kind of served as a perfect cover during that period as exactly well, you know? i think so and so then they they you know pushed all the jews out of germany and austria uh into countries like poland mm. uh, they built these special camps and put people in there but also they just took loads and loads of people you know they would go particularly after the invasion of the soviet union in the summer of, of 41 they uh would just go into little villages mm -hmm. take the people out march them into the nearest forest or just out into the fields mm -hmm. and shoot them yeah and about half the people who were murdered in the holocaust were were shot face to face wow. so you often so about three million people it's getting yeah. on for you know it's up to about half mm -hmm. um <clears throat> and but people often think the holocaust was sort of industrial you know like a like a, a factory industrialized killing mm. but and that was happening in in the death camps but at the same time or, or before it uh, people were they were just gunning them down mm. in vast numbers yeah um it's it's, uh, it's it's great you actually brought up the point regarding taking people to the fields and gunning them down so prior to meeting here today i wanted to speed read something and try and like okay. get, get up to date but what i always try and do is i try and come from a different angle in terms of like the content i'm consuming so i read a book called ordinary people i'm not sure if you've you, you've you're familiar with the book who's it by oh, is it ordinary men ordinary men sorry ordinary men christopher brown christopher brown sure it's a great great book so i i, I wasn't able to finish it because i was trying right. to i was trying to rush it the last couple of days before coming here and um the reason why I read the book is because I wanted to understand how people allowed this to happen and how some people partook in yeah. 
act in the act of killing yeah. other individuals in in a genocide manner. And uh, for those who have read the book and understand the, the 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 concept behind the book is that ordinary men were picked out from various sectors. So they could have yeah. been bakers, farmers, bus drivers, whatever they were, and then they were forced and given um they were given an option, and that was to either kill or be killed. And I'm sure, as you know, most of those men ended up becoming assassins for the Nazi regime. Yeah. So, what what the question I'm trying to get to is, what drives people to commit genocide? What what, what is right. the driving factors behind it? Yeah, well, it's a very yeah, it's a really important question, and there's no easy mm. easy straightforward answer to it at all. But in the case of of that that book, what he was uh, studying was a particular group of men yeah. from Hamburg in yeah. Germany who had belonged to a, a police formation. Yeah. So these were quite elderly blokes. They weren't young men. They were kind of middle-aged. Some were probably, you know, in their 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, and they weren't forced to do this. Mm -hmm. yeah? they, they were taken, you know, taken uh, out, and I think they were in the Soviet Union somewhere, yeah. And uh, but if any one of them said, "Look, I can't do this," that was fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they'd be sent somewhere else, not somewhere worse necessarily, but yeah. they weren't forced to do it. But they let themselves be caught up in this, mm. and they they went along with it. And some people now the range of sort of motivations for for people to get involved with it is quite wide. So some people really believed it. They really believed this Nazi propaganda that mm. the Jews were the source of everything bad in the world mm. and they were all conspiring together to keep everybody else down. Mm. So they really bought into that story and thought they were, you know, making the world free. Mm. And other people, <coughs> frankly, thought, I can make money out of this. Yeah. You know, like we can nick all their stuff an and all of this sort of thing and we can make we can make money out of this. And other people were just I maybe too weak. You know, they they were easily led and and got caught up in it and and just went along with it. Mm. And actually, it's very difficult if you're in a group of people and they all pushing you in one direction. Yeah, very hard to hold out against that, very. even when it's something as you know as extreme and terrible mm. as as killing people. And I think, especially if you think you can get away with it as well, I think that yeah. becomes another yeah. factor in That's kind right. of pushing that that part of the human nature yeah. to come out yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's very important uh, and that's why that book is so great and so important mm -hmm. is to understand that these weren't you know special kinds of people they weren't mad mm -hmm. they weren't evil these were ordinary blokes mm -hmm. uh, and they could be led to do this and and what what I think everybody's got to think about is well what would I have what would I have done? Yeah. You know, if the, if I'd been caught up yeah. in that, and I've thought about that a lot for myself, and yeah, I might like to think that oh well, I would have held out against it, or mm -hmm. I would have rescued people, or whatever. But you can't be sure. You definitely can't. Um, that was a question because I, I haven't finished the book. I just quickly tried to go through it prior to meeting you, and I'm definitely going to finish it now after speaking to you. Um, it was a question that I asked myself. I was like, what if I was there at the time? I was a particular man of a particular age, of a particular yeah. race, and I was put in that situation. Like, it's easy to say it with hindsight and having the mindset that I have now and having to review history. Yeah. And, and as we know, through history, we learn and we try to better ourselves as human beings. But when you're in that, when you're in that environment, how would you know how to act? How would you know? Yeah, how would you know what's right and what's wrong and what you should be doing? You might know what's yeah. right and what's wrong, but in terms of... You're actually doing it. Actually doing it, yeah. That's right. And it's it's not... I don't think it's the case that the those people who did help other people to mm -hmm. survive, that they were... You know, that there wasn't one thing that they all had in common. Yeah. It's not like yeah, they were all good Christians or mm. something. That's not the case at all. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Mm. But and it's never very. There's there's very difficult to identify common features that that the killers have mm. in you know have, and that the the rescuers have yeah. as well. You just don't know. You yeah. just don't know how people are going to respond. Respond to that, yeah. And and, and 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 you know, from from many stages of the Holocaust, but even right uh, early on, say in 1938, mm. in, in in November 1938 in Germany, they organised this big sort of attack on the Jews, and yeah. they destroyed the businesses and smashed up their homes, and it was known as the November pogrom. 
And uh, one of the most disturbing things about that was how often it was that it was the people living next door yeah. who came for you, people you knew. Yeah, yeah. You knew you'd been living amongst them for years mm-hmm. and they would turn on you know, on their neighbours and, and beat them and rob them and, mm. in many cases, kill them. Yeah. Um, it's, it it kind of highlights, again, how dangerous spewing certain rhetorics are because we're under the assumption that it's okay for everyone to kind of, like, have their being sort of like their group setting and just it's us against them type of thing but when push comes to shove and it goes into the really far end where it becomes violent yeah. it's very easy to turn on someone that you might potentially loved previously yeah and it's in and, and that's the dangers of it um so let's going back to where you worked again mm. in terms of like some of the stuff your the organization was doing can you tell me a bit more about it? What, what doing in my time yes yeah, yeah. In your uh, time. so yeah well mainly we 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 collect mm. books and papers so is this original um books you know that there, there's there every year there's th- literally thousands of books published mm-hmm. about different aspects of the holocaust mm-hmm. and the library buys some of these books don't buy yeah. them all buys some of these books so keeps up to date with with the mm-hmm. scholarly research into the whole subject and at the same time we're building up or they're building up mm. this archive of original documents yeah. and the kind of thing that they're they're doing on that side is collecting family papers from people who came to britain uh, as refugees okay. or people who were survivors and settled in britain afterwards mm. and also uh, uh, the records of organizations that were involved in trying to get people out or resettle mm. them or bring uh, children over so you you probably heard of uh, something that happened in in late 38 and 39 called kinder transport yes, yeah. so there's a lot of stuff about kinder transport in 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 the library um, and also increasingly uh, we get digital material mm-hmm. so in fact a few maybe f- must be about five probably about five years ago now we got a digital copy of an absolutely immense archive Mm. called the international tracing service and this is a a body of of records that was built up towards the end of the war and then throughout the 50s and 60s and and even now they're still adding things to it Uh, and the point of it was to help people trace relatives and friends that they had lost contact with amazing yeah and this collection is absolutely vast so it's got a hundred million pages of documentation and it's you can find information about what happened to 17 and a half million people during the war and we got the library got the digital copy of that uh and that means not only that we're helping lots and lots of people mm. who find out about you know, their their parents or their grandparents yeah. or whatever, uh, but also more and more, it's it's academics and students who want to get access to this to to study because mm. there's a lot of information in there that people haven't known before. Amazing. What, what is the, that? That's that's great. So what is the what is the importance of history to you? So in terms of like general history and then obviously the history of the Jews, like why as human beings do we find history so intriguing? Mm. Well, of course, it is It is just really intriguing yeah. in itself it, it, to it find so. out how people lived, yeah. whether it's 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. It's just interesting. Mm. Uh, and then this kind of history, you there is always this this idea that we can learn from it and then we won't make the same mistakes. But it looks to me like we do make pretty much the same kind of mistakes. I mean, some would even compare what's happening in China at the moment. Yeah, Yeah, it's very serious. Mm. Uh, So that's a real challenge. But I think if you don't look at history, Mm -hmm. then you'll you'll make those mistakes on an even worse scale so you have to do what you can Mm. and i think it's it's 
it's it's quite difficult to define you know, what are the lessons of the Holocaust. Mm. You know, I mean, in some way, I would say, well, the lessons of the Holocaust are that if if you're a really bad man mm. and you want to hold on to power, this is a good way to do it. You know, mm. pick on some group, persecute Take them, really then start murdering yeah. them. You'll stay in power. No one is going to try and stop you, mm. and you'll probably never go to court for it afterwards. Yeah. So that might be, you know, a lesson of the, of the Holocaust, mm. but it's not a good lesson, obviously. <laughs> uh, and more, the real challenge is that you've got to think about what happened there and how how is that relevant today because we're mm. it's essentially the same kind of society yeah it's a modern industrialized wealthy society mm-hmm. where this this took place and realize how in a way vulnerable we all are as individuals but we are as a society and as a culture mm-hmm. to being drip fed these messages that you know, those people yeah. are bad or yeah. you should really be hating those people and we're seeing a lot of it now i mean of course you you just mentioned china and mm-hmm. there's there's very bad things going on there with persecution of the uyghur yeah. uh you know today there i was reading that that uh, you know, I can't remember which mm. one of the African countries, Gambia, yeah. I think it so was. So continue. Yeah, uh, uh, has has taken Burma to to court, saying yeah. that the persecution of the Rohingya is a genocide, yeah. um, and there are there have been many genocides since the Holocaust. Yeah. Many. I mean, we had Rwanda. Rwanda. Genocide in Rwanda. Yeah. We've had Nigeria. Said yeah. Something. yeah. And, yeah, and a Yugoslavia yeah. and so on. So it goes on, Darfur. Um, so we need to try and understand what is it in, in our society that makes us so vulnerable to this. Mm. Uh, and I would say it's really sort of urgent now because... There are there are signs that uh, that really extreme political views mm. are becoming very popular again. Yeah, you know, you've got the problem of of the Labour Party being anti-Semitic and not mm-hmm. doing anything about it. Uh, you've got the problem of the Tory Party being Islamophobic and mm-hmm. they're not yeah. doing very much about mm-hmm. it. Um, and the kind of really hate speech that someone like Donald Trump mm. comes out with uh, is is really scary. Yeah. And um, I think to touch on that as well, I think what, what's, what's making it worse as well and what's heightening it is probably social media as well because it's giving us a platform right now to now go into our tribal states and it's creating more tribal um, states within the, 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 the cultural yeah. sphere yeah. and it's we're, we're more vocal about it now it's easy to get messages out there now whilst before you could start off a revolution somewhere in a corner in, in a town hall whilst now all you have to do is send out a tweet to yeah. hundreds of thousands of people and you're going to find someone who, who believes in whatever it is you're saying whether it's hate towards another group of human beings or another set of gender or whatever it yeah. is it may be so to me I think social media is kind of heightening it right now I think what social media is doing is it's kind of accelerating the whole process yeah. there's, yeah. there's much more you know there's much more of it and it's much quicker yeah. in fact it's virtually instant mm-hmm. uh, but and. Yeah, allowing for that, what's going on is not so dissimilar mm-hmm. to what was going on, say, immediately after the First World War. Mm-hmm. So in Germany, right after the First World War, there were loads of mm-hmm. very small but very organised groups of mm-hmm. very right-wing people yeah. who were quite well networked into each other they worked mm-hmm. together sometimes they had plenty of money from different sources mm-hmm. uh, and they were pumping out mm-hmm. masses and masses and masses of propaganda saying yeah the jews are really destroying the country mm-hmm. and we need to kind of we need to actually have another war to sort out, you know, the mess that the First World War has has created for us and this sort of thing. And they were reaching hundreds of thousands and millions of people, yeah. much like we are today, but it took a little longer. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
So there are big differences, but there are also really big similarities as well. So the content of it hasn't really changed much, but the way it spreads around has changed and is is, is, quicker and can reach further. Mm -hmm. And you see that, you know, you see that in in things like um, the propaganda that was there in in the run-up to the European elections last summer. So I read somewhere that there there were little right-wing groups dotted about Europe Mm -hmm. that were setting up Facebook pages. And these started out being the kind of, about the kinds of, things that young people might be interested in so your yeah, music or sport or fashion or whatever that type of stuff and after they built up a following with that content they start pushing the propaganda then they start pushing the propaganda you know, white supremacy and anti-semitism and the rest and by the time the european elections had took place millions of people had interacted with those pages yeah and that's got to you know, that's going to make a difference. That's going to, those people have, have got that kind of mm. poisonous stuff in their minds now. You yeah. Know, whether what they do with it is another question, but it's, y- it's, it's quite easy to, to reach out to people mm. and tell them all this stuff. Yeah. Um, in, in, in relations to what you just mentioned now, so um, again, when I was doing my research, I, I typed in Holocaust. So you can type in Holocaust anywhere, like on Google, whatever. And there's there's a there's a subgroup of individuals who completely deny it it, it happened. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I laugh at the prospect, but then I know that there's individuals out there that are not laughing and taking that information seriously mm-hmm. because we we document history. We've got we've got quite a good way of tracking history. We've yeah. got live physical evidence of things that happened during history so why is there such a big group and uh, a set of individuals that are completely denying it i mean i get the agenda behind it mm-hmm. i get the possible agendas what they're thinking but what is their reasoning like i well i couldn't I, get my head around it because yeah, this no, is the first time a, i came across and i was like this it, doesn't make sense yeah in, in a way it doesn't make sense um but there it, it is interesting that there any time there is a genocide, if it's the Holocaust or if it's mm-hmm. if it's the Uyghur in China or the Rohingya in Burma, any genocide, any time, any place, it will always be denied. Yeah, and there's some scholars have have sort of described eight or ten stages that every genocide goes through, mm. and denial is always part of it. Yeah. yeah, you deny that you're thinking about doing it, mm. you deny it while you're doing it, and you deny it after you've done it. Mm. So, and in a way, I would say denial is so much part of genocide mm. that if there's an atrocity, if they're not denying it, it's not genocide. Okay. You could almost say if they're denying yeah. it, that's a warning yeah. that this is probably so denial genocide. has to be a part of the process. It has yeah. to be part of the, it is a part and parcel of the mm. process. And what people, you know, why they're doing it mm. is because if they can discredit the the evidence that mm. this is was real, mm. they'll be able to do it again. And that's what they want. Yeah. That's what they want. No doubt about it. It's not, you know, they're not saying we think we think this is, you know, it wasn't as bad as that or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not interested in that. They're saying we just want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's, it's, it's difficult to understand because there's truth and then there's opinion. And then so sometimes it is, it's, it's hard to balance the two. Like for me, yeah. I'm like why are we allowing there to be a balance between ultimate truth and just yeah. pure opinion? Yeah. And yeah. Now you know there was a the the, the most famous uh, Holocaust denier in in Britain mm. was a guy called called David Irving. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've heard of, of yeah, him. No, he yeah. he was yeah he started he started he started out as a fairly respectable mm. uh, historian writing about the, the the Second World War, and then sometime in the nineteen eighties he got into Holocaust denial, mm. and. Uh, he, there was in in the year two thousand, there was a big 
court case in Britain because some an academic wrote about him as being a Holocaust denier and he sued them for libel. Oh. And this is a huge case and he lost it. Mm. And um, that, I've forgotten why I've started on this story now. I think you're talking about how he got into Holocaust denialism and um, his, his process. No, I'm going to have to get back to that. That's fine. That's absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, one one thing. So to me, the, with the Holocaust deniers, it, it also comes in line with a group of people who have a, who, who've created a stereotypical ideal of what a Jew is. Sure. And you, you always hear um, the, the rhetorics that Jewish are money hungry, they're this, they're that, and so forth. So but what is the history of, of that? Because I, I, when I look into stereotypes, so there's stereotypes on everybody. There's stereotypes on black words. Absolutely. Like when people see me, they don't, without knowing who I am as an individual, they might have an idea, they might have a preconceived notion of who I might possibly be. Yep. It's only when, once they get to know me or once they get to know maybe my family or who, my background, then that idea changes. But before that, visually, and just seeing me for who I am, there's always a preconceived notion, which is birthed historically through whatever, propaganda, through historical events or whatever it is. What is the Jewish journey? Well, right. Well, it, I, it really starts with, uh, with Christianity. Mm. That's where it starts. Mm. Uh, and in particular, I, I think it starts in the 4th century BC, mm. when Christianity was taken up as the official religion of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, the Christian church started to turn against the the Jews. And I mean, to begin with, Christians were, were just a Jewish sect, mm -hmm. you know, all Jews didn't believe exactly the same stuff. There were different groups and sects like there are in the other religion. And and Jesus was one of those. Yeah. Uh, but once it had it really separated off from, from Judaism and became the state religion of the Roman Empire, they kind of then started attacking the Jews and saying, well, actually, you know, it was the Jews who killed mm. Christ. It was their fault mm. that Christ died, which, in fact, you know, completely untrue mm. i mean it was the romans who killed them. yeah <laughs> um and and then they identify uh judas iscariot as being yeah he was a jew yes and he sold christ out for 30 pieces of silver and i think that's part of why jews will betray you and they'll do it for money and that mm. became quite you know powerful yeah all through the christian countries as it spread around and it really mm. stuck. So persecute, persecuting Jews and not giving them equal rights was absolutely there throughout Europe mm. all the way through. You know, all the way through from, from the earliest days until, you know, like in Germany, they got full equal rights in, in, in about the 1920s. Yeah. And so that Christian anti-Semitism mm. was a huge huge history and there's no other group actually that has been got at and attacked for over such a massive period of time 2000 years and then in the 19th century and it happened in in germany there was a movement to say we're not interested in christian you know, in christian anti-semitism because we're not we don't believe in in christianity anymore but we think jews are actually a different race from the rest of us and then it, they became this sort of racial anti-semitism and it said essentially you know something like well they're not genetically the same as us mm. you know so they're they're always going to be they're always plotting against us and they want to take over the world mm. and they want to control everything and wherever you look you know there's always jews behind yeah. you know the man in power behind him is a group of jews manipulating him and this sort of yeah. thing so it, it really got going that way and always it, it flares up like if 
economic times are bad or if if there's a war or mm -hmm. something it flares up because everybody is then looking for somebody to blame you know yeah. why why is you know why is my life so terrible now why is all my money disappeared you know it must be somebody's fault mm -hmm. and then along come right-wing extremists and or nazis or whoever and say well you know actually it's it's them over there you know look at mm -hmm. them they're the ones who've done it yeah, it's always easier to point the finger probably at the Oriental other than to point it at yourself. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And and it's yeah, it's amazing how easy it is to do that. Mm. And I, I mean, I've I've had times in my life when I've had those feelings. Yeah. You know. Well, were you were you feel people have directed something that's going wrong in their life towards you. As, no, no, as no. I mean, I've I've been I've gone along with oh, thinking, okay. you know, oh, it must be, you know, yeah. it's all the fault of Asians yeah. or something, you know. And I think, then you I think, think you, am I going mad? Yeah, I what? think if you, if you don't admit there's a humour, you're probably lying to yourself because yeah, you I are going to be lying to yourself. Yeah. And and that's one, you know, one thing you've got to you've got to face up to 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 the facts Most that. Any human being is going to have prejudices and, yeah. and they're going to have a nasty side to them. They're going to, you know, and you're always going to favor your own. As and well. you're always going yeah. to favor your own. Yeah. And the more you accept it and come to terms with it, mm -hmm. the less likely you are to do anything terrible about yeah. it. Most definitely. So we need to, you know, self-awareness, knowing yourself mm -hmm. is, is one of the big challenges that, that uh, studying something like the Holocaust puts in front of you yeah that's that's i mean that's one of the reasons also i wanted to have you on there just to so i can get a deeper understanding and also my my listeners and viewers can get a deeper understanding of what, what it is because i'm sure loads of them have had their same prejudices loads of them have viewed jews viewed black people viewed white people viewed everyone else apart from themselves as the person causing them causing yeah. them um, drama and heartache yeah and um how, how do we get away from that like, how do we as a society live more harmoniously without bl blaming the other for their problems? I guess, the, in a way, the answer is fairly fairly obvious. Mm. Uh, it is just look at people for what they are. Mm. You know, don't think about them as being black or white or mm. Jews or Muslims. Just look at them and see how they're behaving mm. and judge them according to that. And in a way, everybody knows that. Mm. So even in in a situation like nazi germany uh, everybody who well, actually one of the big nazi leaders made a speech once and he said look you know we and he was the point of the speech was to say we've really got to murder them all wow. and he said look now and then you know they everybody will say yes i understand you know we've got to do this mm -hmm. but actually you know i've got a jewish bloke who lives next door to me and he's great he's cool yeah. he's great <laughs> yeah. you know and uh, and that's the attitude, yes? Mm. So as soon as you know somebody, those prejudices and the stereotypes fall away because mm. you just deal with them, you know, the, like the person next door is like, you either like them or you don't or yeah. whatever, but you don't, you don't really care mm. if they're from Poland or, mm. you know, or America or wherever. Uh, so it's, it's not... It's, when you find yourself thinking about people as if they're all the same, mm -hmm. well, they're not. They're yeah. not. And you know, it's interesting that in Nazi Germany, they you know, they needed to come up with definitions about who's yeah. a Jew and who isn't a Jew. Yeah. Yeah? And they could hardly do it because it's yeah. too it's too difficult. You know, is it somebody? I mean, obviously, if it was somebody, you know, both their parents were Jews, they get, went to synagogue regularly. Yeah, yeah. then. Fair, fair enough. You know, they're, they're, that's that's certainly someone who's Jewish. But if there's only if there's only one Jewish grandparent mm -hmm. and they've never set foot in a synagogue in their lives, mm. is that a Jew or isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah. And what do you do about their children? It gets too complicated too quickly, and they never did solve that problem. Mm. So, the idea of thinking in these racial categories is just rubbish. Yeah. It's rubbish. It's not doesn't correspond to the reality of what people are. Most definitely. I mean, I'm I'm always it's it's, it's a it's, it's an idea that I'm always enforcing to others. I'm like judge judge a man by their character, because I mean, I always go by the Martin Luther King speech. Exactly. I think he exactly. I think what he was advocating for was individuality. He said yes. it's not a meritocracy we live in here. Mm -hmm. Judge a man by his character, and yeah. then or a woman by her character, yeah. and based on that you 
you decide whether you're going to have relations with them or yeah. not. Yeah. It's not about grouping people and then just subjecting them to their group treatment because that's not no. how we're supposed to live as a society. And it, it causes more more heartache than anything. Um, as So for, for simples, and so this was a, a question someone asked me when I, when I told them I was coming to see okay. you. They said, what's the difference between a Jew and a Zionist? And I, and I said, interesting. And I said, I don't know. Okay. I, I yeah. honestly just. But it's a very important question, it's, especially it's, now. It's very important question, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. with what's being spilled out there now. And that's yeah, yeah. and that's when I thought, okay, I'm gonna hold on to it. I'm not gonna. I didn't have time to do the research, but I'm gonna ask you because sure. um, I would assume you're 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 a Jewish man, aren't you? I'm not a Jew. Oh, no. you're not a Jew. Okay. No. <laughs> but you know, but the yeah. the the. the there were there were Jews in my family. In your family, okay. So, yeah. But I'm not a Jew. No, yeah. No. What is that? What is that difference? Okay. So, being a Jew is primarily a matter of of practicing a religion. Mm -hmm. uh, Zionism is a political was a political movement mm -hmm. that started in actually started in Austria in Vienna yeah. in the 1880s or 90s and it it was a, a political movement that said yeah Jews are a people that haven't got a country mm. uh, and we we know they originally come from Palestine mm -hmm. and we want to go back there and set up a country there mm. and that's Zionism okay. and so now Zionists are people who believe in the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, modern since the Holocaust, it's quite difficult to just come out publicly and say, I really hate Jews, you know, yeah. and I wish they would would all go away or mm -hmm. they'd die or whatever. But you can say, I don't I've got nothing against Jews, but I'm really against Zionists, yeah, yeah, and it's like a it's like a little diversion. Yeah. You're going round and round about. Basically. You're going round, yeah. but you end up Coming in the same. Bit, yeah. You end up in the same road. Mm. Uh, so by saying it's not the Jews, mm. but you know the state of Israel is not legitimate, and the Jews should leave the state of Israel. Uh, and you've got to ask yourself, why do they say that about? Israel when they don't say it about any place else yeah. Yeah. and there's you know there's obviously a, a terrible conflict going on in Israel between Palestinians mm -hmm. and Israelis but that conflict is actually pretty small beer if you compare it to conflicts going on in other countries mm -hmm. where hundreds of thousands of people get killed every year and nobody nobody pays any attention at all yeah you know, look at central african republic or mm. the congo or whatever these the, the the civil wars going on there yeah. are killing thousands and thousands and maybe you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of women being raped or mm -hmm. children being forced to fight or these things but nobody nobody wants to know about that yeah you know, all the attention is on Israel and a very intense, very you know, un nasty conflict that's going on there. But above all, it's actually very small. I think it's it's small in in terms of like the the, the, the atrocities and stuff. But I think the political connections is what makes it bigger. It's yeah. it's, it's on. It's on the, yeah. the right side of politics in terms of where people's eyes are and where people's yeah. ears. No, clearly, and, yeah, clearly, all the attention is on it, mm. um, but. But if you you've got to you've got to ask yourself why is that? Mm. Why why are we so bothered about what goes on there when we we couldn't care less what goes on anywhere else? Yeah, and the reason is it's Jews. Mm. It's Jews. That's why all the attention is on them. Uh, and the yeah, that it's a tiny wee country, completely surrounded by mm. a loads of other countries with huge populations all dedicated to eradicating the jews in in israel and um it taps straight into all the anti-semitism that there has been for the last two thousand years yeah. uh, and zionism is just a is, is a code word for anti-semitism yeah. you know that's what it's become. It's mm. not not in the originally. Literally, it was a little political movement. Mm. Uh, 
And whether you think the state of Israel is legitimate or not is up to you. Uh, but, you know, from a European perspective, it's difficult to see how, after the Holocaust, mm -hmm. you can refuse to let them have somewhere to live, mm -hmm. a country to call their own. Yeah. We owe it to them, actually, as Europeans, because we, we were either slaughtering them or we were standing around watching them get mm -hmm. slaughtered. So we have a we have an obligation. We've got a moral obligation. That's a that's 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 a question for someone else to answer one day, yeah. I guess. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well. Um, so before we go, I just wanted to touch on your your family as well. You said yeah. you have an interesting um, background in regards yeah. to your relationship with um, with the whole subject area. Whole subject, so yeah. yeah. So my my on my mum's side uh, of the family. She, my mum, had a grandfather who was a Jew, mm. uh, and he was living in Berlin, uh, and they were talking about so 1880s, you know. He was a lawyer, and he was doing quite well, and they made him into a judge. Mm. And at that moment, he converted and became Protestant, mm. so he became Christian. Okay. And... I don't know why he chose to do that, but I think that was, it was just expected mm -hmm. that you, you, as a Jew, you can't really be a judge. Mm -hmm. You've got to, to become a Christian before you can be a judge. So he did that. And he had four children, three daughters and one son. Mm -hmm. So they were all raised as Protestants. Mm -hmm. But the three daughters all had all underwent religious conversions okay. when they were young women so the two older ones converted to judaism so they you know they went back to judaism and they underwent uh, yeah, education and and the ceremonial things and so on and then in 19 one of them went to palestine in 1933 the other one had gone the previous year i think mm. So very early, uh, so you know, long long before it was Israel, yeah. um, and the the third daughter became a Roman Catholic nun. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a real mix up there. Isn't it's a it? real mix. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then there was the fourth child. That mm. was the boy, who was my granddad. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he uh, he never had a, a religious mm. conversion at all. So he was sort of. Officially, he was Protestant, and I, I imagine that actually he was completely indifferent to yeah. religion. Uh, so the two girls who went to Palestine, one of them stayed there for her whole life, and she's buried out there, and mm -hmm. so on. She had, he got married, but they never had any kids, and, and so on. Uh, but the other one, for, uh, for reasons that I'm not clear about, mm -hmm. came back to Germany in 1937, mm -hmm. which wasn't such a great idea. Yeah, that's yeah. just but before. She she had to, for some reason, she had to go back. And then she went back to Berlin, and actually she married in Berlin and married a Jewish bloke, and she was working as a teacher in in a school, a little, little private Jewish school, because at mm. a certain point the all Jewish kids were expelled from state schools. Mm. And so these little private schools started up for Jewish kids to get an education and she taught in, in she actually taught in two of those and then at the at the end of 1942 uh, she and her husband were told they were going to be deported mm. and they ran away and hid and at that point uh, they were they were getting help they're getting money and help from their the the sister who was the Roman Catholic nun. So yeah. she knew what was going on and she gave them money and you, she gave them a, you had a little ID card from the post office that yeah. would let you get rations and stuff like that. So she gave them that stuff and they were hidden for about four months, four or five months. And then they, then everybody got arrested mm. and, uh, the, my, the the nun was sent to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. That was a, 
the yeah. concentration camp outside Berlin that was just for women. Uh, and the other one, the one who had been married to the, the Jewish bloke, she was sent first to a, uh, a ghetto called Theresienstadt or Terezin in, in what's now Czechoslovakia. And then at the near the end of 44, she was sent to Auschwitz and murdered mm. there. And her husband actually killed himself when they were arrested. Mm. So, you know, and my my grandfather, my granddad, he was also a teacher and he taught Greek, Latin and German. And up until 43, he was allowed to teach Greek and Latin, but the Nazi said, no, you're not you're not racially pure enough to teach German. Wow. So he was forbidden to do that. And then after 43, they carted him off to a slave labor camp, but, but he survived that. Oh, wow. See. So that was my mum's side. And on my dad's side, uh, my, my grandfather, he, he didn't serve in the army, but he was in a special organization that had to do with uh, uh, supplying the army with food mm. and he was in um, in I think it was in Latvia mm. at a time when some of the worst slaughtering was going on there mm. so I've not really been able to find out you know if whether he saw it or if he was taking part in it or mm -hmm. or what i don't know i don't know mm -hmm. so this you know those are the sorts of reasons why once i started working at the the vena library mm -hmm. it started to become sort of meaningful for mm -hmm. me and i was getting more interested and i wanted to try and understand everything did you have better. the backstories that you just told no, me before no, that no, so no. It's only, oh, wow, i found okay. that all of that out much more recently yeah, yeah. and is that all through working at the library yeah, as well yeah yeah. yeah, that 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 just shows me how amazing history is in terms of piecing together even yeah. your own true story. Well, that's so. the other thing, you know. If yeah. you don't know history, then you don't know who you are. Yeah. actually, you do Most need, to, and you you know, and you need to know who you are. Mm. You really do. Yeah, you know, otherwise you can't you can't act yeah. or live properly at all. That's definitely that's that's actually a beautiful way of ending this 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 first segment here because i mean i'd really like to catch up with you another time and just continue this we conversation could. but initially Anytime. this was a great piece to start as an introduction um into the holocaust and your right. life personally and also what we can take from history because the, the last piece they just said has actually really hit me now because i just thought back like do i really know the depths of my family history yeah, no yeah. i really don't and as you like, i can tell you for you know with complete certainty mm -hmm. As you find out more, mm. it changes you on the inside. Most it definitely. changes you. you know? Most definitely. Because yeah. even something simple as whenever I go back to Ghana and I visit family in the rural places, like not like the ones that live in the city that I talk to on WhatsApp, but the ones that have no communication with whatsoever. Right. And I look at them and they look exactly like me. They look like they look like my dad. They look like my, my, my granddad or whoever. Yeah. It, it hits me. I'm like, wow, this is a piece of me because... As, as human beings and in particular the family we're connected like we're connected in so. way bigger ways than you you, you would yeah. assume on a superficial level yeah. and when I see family and I look directly into their eyes I, see, I feel something mm -hmm. so I mean that that's some, one thing I'm going to take back now and just try to understand my own personal right. history and I'm going back to Ghana very soon in a couple of weeks as well so it's another opportunity for me to further understand history yeah. and in terms of like my family where I come from and who I am as a lineage not just who I am now yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really it appreciate it. Really. It's makes a, absolute makes pleasure. a difference. Brilliant. Thank you for coming on this time. Thank you. Right.